moderation to somebody who's got a problem with drinking is is such a massive dangerous lie and you really can't see it um i spent a good 10 years a decade if not more trying to probably yeah. more actually try, trying to moderate trying to cut down trying to have times off trying to you know all this sort of thing and eventually I I couldn't moderate at all, which is how I it things came to a, a head. I couldn't have any time off at all, you know, not not even more than three hours, four hours. What I'm keen to, to to get over to people is that when you when I gave up drinking, I thought that it was going to be like when I was moderating, where it was this impossible, never ending battle until I died, and it isn't. It's a massive, yeah. massive feeling of relief and gratitude. Welcome to the Tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast, episode 141. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last seven years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. At the time of recording, we've just started the run-up to the festive season, so people are joining our annual fundraiser to get 30 days of online and community support. To join us, just go to tribesober.com and hit annual fundraiser and you'll get 30 days of support from a date of your choosing. can be a dry December or a dry January or something in between the two. Your call. And if you're wondering if you should go all in and try out a sober year in 2023, then give yourself the best gift of all this Christmas. Give yourself a gift that will keep on giving. Give yourself the gift of sobriety. We're offering a 20% discount on the annual Tribe Sober membership. Just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. Use the coupon code CHRISTMAS2022 to claim your discount on an annual membership. That coupon will be live until the end of the year. So as we approach the festive season, the global marketing machine is on steroids. It's encouraging us to shop until we drop and, of course, to swim through the whole thing in a sea of booze. We're encouraged to drink and to celebrate and then to drink a bit more. Until January, of course, when we're all supposed to be plunged into despair as we cope with the aftermath of too much eating, too much drinking and too much spending. The ever-ingenious marketing industry has even pounced on this feeling of despair with the invention of Blue Monday. That's the third Monday of January, which is supposed to be the most miserable day of the year. 
It's the day when we're supposed to spend a bit more money and book a holiday to cheer ourselves up, especially if we live in the Northern Hemisphere, where the weather will be dire at that time of year. The manipulation is endless until we decide to see it for the BS that it really is. My podcast guest this week has certainly seen through the BS. Jason Lewis-Williams popped up on Tribe Sober's Facebook group one day last May, and he's been inspiring us with his posts ever since. In a recent post, he says, Who else is positively looking forward to waking up sober on Christmas morning? That's one thing I'll say for having had a drinking problem. When you get rid of it, normality feels so good, particularly on occasions where you would have been so messed up. Absolutely, Jason. One of the joys of sobriety is rediscovering everyday pleasures. So let's listen to his story. I'm a 52-year-old chap living just outside Cambridge in the UK uh, with two kids, uh, two dogs and a lovely wife and uh, quite a few guitars. And I feel very lucky to be able to say that. I teach academics how to use technology to enrich their teaching and student learning and I've been in Cambridge for about well exactly 30 years this year and in my job for 25 years so the the numbers are stacking up so I'm still here (laughs) I know the feeling (laughs) (laughs) awesome well thank you for that so let's dive into the drinking story shall we uh when did it all start were you one of those boozy teenagers British teenagers (laughs) like I was is there, is there any other British teenager than a boozy <laughs> teenager? I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, I this think was, that, there was, might be one or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so th- this would have been back in the mid to late 80s. And I started on the cider. I, I looked just about old enough to uh, buy cider uh, for me and my friend at 15 and used to take it on the park and drink usually in the summer time and and that was quite usual nothing extraordinary in that at that time certainly not where i lived and my dad was an alcoholic and i, I idolized him he was um, a guitarist as i am and drank a lot <laughs> in fact he drank himself to death eventually and and maybe he was showing me subconsciously how to deal with stress and deal with life or, or, or as we know now not deal with it but I think probably that mixed in with the fact that uh, my mother got cancer when I was uh, 16 and then took about four years to uh, die so that was it was it, being a teenager is quite stressful anyway as everybody, yeah. you know, uh, with all the exams and the hormones mm. and all that sort of stuff it's also the best time and I do still oddly look back at that time as being you know, the be- as the song goes, the best years of my life. But uh, I, I, I was in a house where I wasn't particularly welcome with my stepfather and a dying mother um, who meant everything to me. We were best friends, really. And uh, the stress of exams and being a teenager, and that was uh, really the beginning of it all. And I went very quickly at the age of 18, just gone 18, into drinking uh, in the mornings and the afternoons and and, and the night times and at, at work as well. I, I failed all my exams promptly, 
and uh, went to work in a, a, a clothes shop and drank before, drank during and drank after and won all the sales uh, competitions along the way. <laughs> oh, interesting. But uh, it was, it's amazing how much energy you have as a teenager, how much mm. you can cope with, with the, the drink, I think. And, yeah. And hide. I became a master at hiding it. And in, in, in actual fact, that uh, I used to think that was quite clever. And I, I still did up until I gave up. I, I quit my job and redid my A-levels to, to go to university and passed my A-levels uh, while ramping the drinking up. And then, of course, it's no, no holds, holds barred at, at uh, university. And anything that ever stopped me from drinking was running out of money. So, um, you know, I got to university, uh, did what I wanted to do there and drank a lot and got into bands and stuff. And, yeah, that's um, that was the start of it. Yeah. Sounds like you had a lot to cope with as a as a teenager, Jason. Your your poor mum, and then it was yeah. interesting what what you said about your your dad that he'd almost demonstrated that yeah. if you were stressed, you, you okay? use alcohol to cope because that's I think that's what we do demonstrate when we when we're drinkers and our kids see us drinking. They think, oh, you know, mum's look looking a bit stressed. She'll be better after her wine. <laughs> Yeah, and that's I, what subconsciously they're they're taking in, aren't they? Sometimes. That's right. That's right. So you you got your degree, okay? Did you? Yeah, just about. I have to say that on on the uh, thing of being a teenager and being young, uh, you know, when, when you're a teenager, you, you think you're quite grown up and and all that. But I I have a an 18 year old boy now, and and the thought of him sitting in pubs all day and drinking and uh, and going to work and stuff uh, it breaks my heart so I, I do this is there's, there's a reflection there that happens uh, and that you're allowed to do once you've given up where you can realize that that is actually quite a tragic start there's all sorts of as you all know once you once the fog clears and you put down the bottle and you you start seeing things for what they are rather than through that mist all sorts of things occur to you, and, and in amongst many things that have occurred to me, that 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 is one of them. That uh, an eighteen-year-old drinking in his car first thing in the morning is uh, quite sad. I think, yeah, and your mum, I'm sure when she left you money, she didn't want you to drink it away. <laughs> so I'm I'm pleased to hear you went to university That's with some right. of that money. <laughs> so how did it evolve as you got older? talk us through your 20s and 30s did it get worse or stay about the same well 20s and 30s stayed about the same I don't think I was ever completely sober for any amount of time apart from the nine nine month period that I had off in my late 30s I I think I've pretty much been drunk since since my mother died uh, up until I gave up properly but it, it was just a daily daily drinking it was mixed in with other things and it was just a general sort of keeping myself topped up because I had a father that in air quotes was a proper alcoholic in that he you know he, he he'd tell me that he'd he'd drink um one, one Christmas he told me that he'd, he couldn't get to the phone because he drank some aftershave and what what thing to tell a child on Christmas? <laughs> of course, yeah. it's a super, super selfish thing to say, right? That that was a dangerous benchmark for, for me. Uh, and I know people pick out famous people if they don't know an alcoholic and go, well, you know, Keith Richards, look at Keith Richards, I'm nowhere near that. And I think 
comparing yourself to other drinkers is a, a, a hiding to nothing, as they say in, over here. It, 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 it's not something that's yeah, useful for so anybody. Do I. I think we all it's tend to do having... that. We look at the guy, the homeless guy on the bench, and you think, oh, well, I'm not as bad yeah. as him yet. Whereas no, if, if we no. just compare ourselves with the best, the best version of ourselves we could be, you never actually felt to... like an alcoholic because you weren't because you weren't drinking the hairspray. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. did you worry? Did you think, oh, this drinking, I need to address it oh, at some point? Oh. Was it oh. there in your mind? Yeah, okay. Yeah. I started to get various bits and pieces of illnesses and things that I knew were, in my heart, I knew were related to it. And, you know, I had to go to the doctor every now and again for various things. And uh, I knew something wasn't right, but... Uh, that was only part of my brain and it was a real sort of split brain sort of thing, you know, cognitive dissonance where uh, I knew that uh, the drinking was bad, but then didn't think it was bad. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I, get uh, I did moan quite a lot about it when I got down and I, uh, w w to my friends and it, it was one of those things uh, it, uh, where my friends would, a lot of my friends would say, you know, you don't drink that much. Of course they never, they didn't see all the drinking that I did, but uh, it was always that sort of thing of, oh, you don't drink that much and you're all right and you're, you're young and, and what have you. And that never really helps. But uh, yeah, I, I, I knew something wasn't quite right. Uh, and I knew that I was using it for drinking alone and, 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 and as a crutch rather than having a good yeah. time, which didn't ring with the other people and the way they seemed to be drinking. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. No, that's a real warning sign, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. talk to me about moderation. Moderation Mary, as we call her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think moderation, out of all the things I've experienced and the things that come to the, the forefront of my mind over this whole sort of drinking business is, is moderation because moderation to somebody who's got a problem with drinking is is such a massive dangerous lie and you really can't see it um i spent a good 10 years a decade if not more trying to probably yeah. more actually try, trying to moderate trying to cut down trying to have times off trying to you know all this sort of thing and eventually I, I couldn't moderate at all, which is how I, it, things came to a, a head. I couldn't have any time off at all, you know, not, not even more than three hours, four hours. Mod moderation is um, something that is the, de the most dangerous thing that you, you can do as far as I'm concerned with, with, with it because it's a lie to yourself and it's, you're denying yourself the thing that you're going to go back to and eventually your brain will just say, well, why, why wait if you're going to go back to it? Yeah, and I I did try desperately to moderate for decade, uh, at least a decade. Um, yeah, yeah, so me too. Actually, it was a decade, yeah. and you know, uh, Jason, I think we do that because we can't imagine our life without alcohol. So we think I've got to control this, and then I can carry on drinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Taking time off is one of those things where it just I, I I can remember thinking, well, you know, if I if I if I have a bit of time off, then I'll get well enough to drink again. <laughs> did, did I hear you say that you had nine months off at one point? I did have nine months. So, uh, as most drinkers will know, you're you're going to end up 
going to the doctor for various ailments, which you'll tell yourself aren't anything to do with drinking. I did have a doctor, a couple of doctors along the way have told me, you know, if you carry on drinking this much. And when I told them how much I drank, I halved it, as everybody seems to do. You know, these doctors have said, you can't carry on like this. You're going to be really, really ill. So at one point, I uh, did have uh, nine months. It was supposed to be a year, so... (laughs) And I did, I did have nine months off, but I entered that in a frame of mind of knowing that I was going to go back. I entered it into this, mm. into it feeling like basically the best way I can describe it is trying to swim a link, length underwater, and knowing that you're going to come up, mm. and you, you're just yeah. holding. You were white nutling it, yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So I knew I was going to go back, and I knew I was going to go back and uh, uh, quite hard. I did go back harder than I w- did before. And it was, I spent the entire time moaning about what I was supposed to do with my time. Nine, nine months of m- my poor wife having to listen to me oh. moaning about the fact that I couldn't drink <laughs> being off it. She and, was and probably thinking, oh God, I hope he starts drinking again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I did that because I, looking back on it now, I realized how that uh, was a moderation, you know, stroke stopping for a while and how different that feels how different it felt to when I decided to stop if I'm going to say one thing on this on this interview moderation is a daily daily battle if you're if you're doing it to go back on to drinking it's almost an impossible battle stopping for me was possible moderation wasn't Absolutely. I think stopping completely is so much easier because if you're moderating, you never stop thinking about it. I mean, it drove me insane. (laughs) I couldn't imagine that I would be able to stop. But when I really put my mind to it, I stopped. So how much were you drinking, Jason? And don't halve it, please. Not for us. (laughs) Okay. And what were you drinking? Was it beer, wine? Tell us us the the grisly truth. (laughs) I've had different patches. So when my, after my mum died, I, I I did do a patch of drinking vodka in the morning, and Stella lager in the afternoon, and then all sorts in the evening. And that that didn't that that was for a while. In the last ten years, so through most of my late 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 thirties to uh, certainly in my forties, the uh, drinking was. Uh, I would wake up in the the, the Zoe trope, as as somebody described it where it's just a, 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 a repeated pattern every day. I would wake yeah, up in Grand the morning. Yeah, Grandpa day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would wake up in the morning feeling absolutely terrible. I would promise myself that I wouldn't drink that day. By the time of about half 11 o'clock in the morning, I would be stood outside the pub trying not to go in the pub, trying to frighten myself with images of standing by you know, my children standing by my, my deathbed, trying trying to, you know, trying to emote myself to try and not go in. And then I would go in the pub and I would have two or three double um, Jack Daniels without Coke because that's too expensive and too calorific. So, you know, healthy. <laughs> and then a couple of pints uh, of strong lager. And then uh, halfway through the afternoon, possibly and increasingly go back for a quick couple of shots. There were times when there was uh, alcohol in my workplace and I I, start, I I drank all of that as well. 
and then I would go go home on the train and I would drink at least two, if not three, double cans of double uh, shots from Marks and Spencer over here, which are like rocket fuel. Um, they're really strong and quite cheap. And that was an eight-minute train journey home. And then I'd go home, I'd go home and be um, able to look sober enough for my wife to not mind that I then drank half a bottle, hopefully a bottle if I could manage it to sneak it of wine, maybe maybe a beer if if there was one hanging around. Then I'd wake up in the morning and start and do that again. And then there was times when I'd go out go out to gigs uh, and yeah. uh, do do more. I, I had got to the point actually where I started because of course that's horrendously expensive and I did have two jobs to to uh, deal with that and I spent all of my money on it. Uh, my, my I used to view money as beer and how many beers I could buy with it. That was it. And I, I just uh, yeah, I did yeah. I did start to look at it and think you know what would be easier would be is if I got a hip flask and I got cheap shots. Then I could sit on a park bench, and that would be a lot cheaper. And that, when that occurred to me, that was again part of the coming to the end of it, where I realised I know what that looks like. <laughs> you were definitely on your way, though, Jason. So, talk to us about that moment. You know, when you thought things have got to change, I can't do this. I mean, it sounds like you had, su- you have such a nice life with a long-suffering wife and oh. two kids, and. Yeah. Uh, you're a musician and you've got a good job. I mean, yeah, yeah. you don't well, you want to lose want... all that and you didn't. No, so well no. done you. But when did it get to that point when you thought, I'm going to lose everything if I don't get my act together? Yeah, yeah. Well, w- w- one of the, the downsides of, of the way that I was was that nobody knew how much I was drinking because I was so good at hiding it. So I've told a couple of people at work and I was absolutely legless at work sometimes and they never knew that i was even drunk i'm not going to tell you how i stopped met people being able to smell it because i don't want other people to use it but i found the perfect way for it to stop smelling so so actually although i was quite i wasn't really present and i was completely present and i i I, I was a bit bad-tempered i actually hid it very very well and one of the things that my wife's had to deal with recently uh, well, over the last few years, is actually coming to terms with this, this secret life that I was uh, living, and it's it's really deeply up, upset that I was going through all that, and she didn't know about it. So, so everything was coming to a head, and and, and one of the things that I was doing, I realised now, was I was keeping myself in the same frame of mind that I was when I was a teenager. That the the, the, um, the alcohol kind of kept my emotional state in amber almost you know like when you get the the insects trapped in amber i I kind of kept myself in amber and uh, my feelings towards my my parents who died and my my grieving and stuff remained at the same level my grief remained at the same level that it was after my parents died or straight after and it was decades ago so that wasn't right but anyway yeah so um So, but you know, let me let me just interrupt you, Jason, because yeah. I don't know if you've heard this, but uh, they say that our emotional maturity kind of stalls at the age that we start drinking heavily. Yeah. So that meant you were 18 for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's I mean, true. 18, 18 till I die is probably, uh, you know, there's another side to that. <laughs> that 
<laughs> and I was. I was trying to, again, I was trying to moderate. I was trying desperately to cut down. I went to a gig at the beginning of one week and I, I'd been started drinking triple triple Jack Daniels because it meant that I, I didn't uh, have to go to the toilet so much and I thought that it would be slimming as well. So uh, I used to call it a health uh, drive, drinking shorts. Um, so I'd be drinking these triple shots at, at, at gigs by myself Lord knows how I got home from these gigs in London. And um, I made myself feel really, really ill on the Monday. And I got another gig to go to on the Wednesday or Thursday. And I promised myself I wasn't going to drink. I, I was absolutely hanging. I felt absolutely terrible. And uh, I bumped into a friend uh, of mine at work. And uh, she said, oh, come for a drink. And, of course, <laughs> I couldn't say no because that would have been rude. And we, we drank a bo- bottle of um, fizz uh, each before I got on the train. And then I, I, and my wife turned up and I was like, I'm not going to go to this gig because I, I, I didn't tell her this, but I knew that I was going to drink more if I did. And she said, no, 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 you've got the ticket. And I said, no, I really, really shouldn't go. No, go. So I did go. So I, I, I must have drunk at least, I, I don't know, six, maybe five double shots on the way down on the train. I bought another couple of doubles on the, on, on the, for the tube uh, train. When I got to the venue, I hit the... Um, triple jack daniels and i woke up the next day and said that was you trying to stop drinking wasn't it jay and i went you can't moderate at all can you and i stopped that was it just like that and you didn't go to aa or get any help you did it on your own there was a couple of things i dabbled with i am a great believer that that you have to make the decision within yourself before you go for help. I think you can go for help while you're trying to make a decision. I'm not. This is not a. This is not a prescription or for anybody. This is my experience. Okay, mm. it's, you know. But for me, I certainly had to make a decision within myself. Sure, well, we're all different. Make, yeah, yeah. People couldn't make me stop drinking. I had to make myself stop drinking, and then I could get help. And, and I think that externalization of trying to get people yeah. to stop you from drinking is a part of the problem because you're externalizing the, the grief and actually you need to change yourself. Uh, if, you, if you go in to help wanting help, and I saw this with my dad many, many times, he used to go to help. He wasn't going to stop drinking, but he was going to test people to see if they could stop him from drinking. Anyway, I, I, I went to a couple of AA, AA meetings, and they were nice guys, and it was, it, it was quite humbling, but it wasn't quite right for me. I went to a couple of therapy sort of talking sessions with a group of people, and they were nice, and it didn't really work for me. But I really did it by myself. Uh, I, I watched a lot of videos on, online. I, I watched this guy called uh, Habits Unplugged on, uh, on YouTube. And he's my age and he's gone through the similar sort of things. And, he's, and he's, you know, everything he says just seems to strike true to me, you know. And I read a book called The uh, Unexpected Joy of Being Sober. And those two things, they wouldn't have stopped me drinking, but they helped me to understand the process and, and it just they, they bolstered me. Both of those things, certainly the book, feel like a friend to me now. Somebody who understood what I was going through, yeah, uh, and 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 that helped. But largely, largely, I've I've done it on my own. I have a, a friend who's 
now 17 years sober and uh he he's quite amazed that i, I managed to do that but uh you know every each to their own i would say to anybody just try and find something that works for you and that you feel comfortable with it just sounds for you like Catherine gray and the guy on youtube they were both people that you could relate to and Absolutely. hearing them talk about the the benefits of not drinking it, it really got through to you well, well done. I mean, it's not at all easy what you've done. <laughs> that Catherine Gray book, I, I would say, was one of those things that I, I've, I have actually um, read it again recently, four years after mm. uh, first reading it. I've got more out of it again in different ways this time. Some of the things yeah. that uh, mm. some of the things that she, she's got in there have really um, chimed with me again in a different way. So um, yeah, I recommend it. Yeah. I just love the title of that because that certainly reflects my views because when I realised yes. I had to get sober for kind of health reasons, I certainly mm -hmm. wasn't expecting there to be any joy. You know, I thought yeah. it would be a, a grey and miserable place. And as you yeah. know, it's far from that. Yeah. Did you go into it thinking, oh, well, you know, the good times are over now? <laughs> the good times were actually over already because it was hurting so much. Yeah, it but sounds like it. Yeah, I yeah. could. I couldn't. I mean, I've got so many different little bits of pieces of illnesses that I got, and more than I realised. Actually, uh, I think I think you might ask me at some at some point uh, what's gone right with it. So I'll talk about that then. But uh, yeah, the, the party was over anyway. I, I wasn't doing any drinking with anybody. It was all by myself. I didn't want to be with anybody else when I was drinking. Yeah. I just wanted to listen to vicious heavy metal. Yeah. The initial feeling that is on that line is that I didn't know what I was going to do with my time. What uh, I remember saying to my wife over and over, what the yes, hell am I supposed yes. to do? What do I do? And now I think that drinking would be such a and what did you do? <laughs> we get on with having a nice time with your family and your kids and <laughs> doing things right, being able to read. I know. It's just crazy, isn't it? How much time we waste when we drink. Uh, you have to be philosophical about that time that you've wasted and, and go forward, don't you? Because it is a massive yeah. waste of time and money and health. And that's one of the things that I've had to deal with. What I'm keen to, to, to get over to people is that when, you, when I gave up drinking, I thought that it was going to be like when I was moderating where it was this impossible, never-ending battle until I died. And it isn't. It's a massive, yeah. massive feeling of relief and gratitude. <laughs> Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Which I feel so sorry when I see people trapped in that moderation place oh. you know because it's so much better on the other side i mean it is hard work as you will remember for the first i don't know six months it's really hard yeah. but then yeah. you've got a new life at the end of it so it's so yeah. worth doing that work and like like i say it wasn't anywhere near the battle that moderation was so um I, it, it's doable no, eminently no. doable Definitely doable. That's the good news, isn't it? And I say Absolutely. to people that it, it's, it doesn't have to be a lifetime time struggle. And I think that's no. where I differ from AA because I went to AA and I did feel that unless I went to the meetings for the next 20 years, you know, I'd, I'd start drinking again. So that they made me see it as a lifetime struggle. But now that I've, you know, worked with so many people, I know it doesn't have to be that. If you can just no. get your mind in the right place and start appreciating the benefits of some 
sobriety, of which there, right. there are many, as you know. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at Janet at TribeSober.com. That's Janet, J-A-N-E-T, at TribeSober.com, and we'll send you an invitation. Remind me again, how long have you been alcohol-free? I didn't hear that. Oh, uh, f- four years on uh, November the fifth. So like, last November the fifth. Oh, bonfire night, eh? Yeah, <laughs> night, night. <laughs> well, well done you. Well done you. Yeah, I mean, don't yeah. don't you ever think, my God, you know, if I hadn't done that four years ago, what would my life look like now? You know, I mean, it, it sounds I, like it was on on the edge very much. Yeah, I'd be crippled. And with did you that. manage to? Gout, gosh, so that's something that I thought only old aristocrats got. <laughs> Did you have gout? Yeah, terrible, terrible gout. Uh, and uh, I, it was starting to crawl up into my knees and my fingers. Uh, and as you know, I'm a guitarist, so I, that, that was not something that I, I wanted. Yeah. And I was blaming it on eating cake and eating apples. <laughs> Nothing to do with the uh, massive amounts of... Uh, alcohol that i was um drinking but uh, that was no no, of course not yeah a a monthly thing and if you want an example of how your brain works irrationally on alcohol to the benefit of drinking alcohol then there it is having gout that would put you in bed for a couple of days every month and and feeling terrible and you sitting there and going oh it's got to be that piece of cake that i ate because that's got lots of acids in or whatever and it's still cake still does give me acid indigestion, but it's <laughs> it's not quite the same thing. I haven't had gout since I stopped drinking. Yeah, funny that, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I wanted to ask you because obviously you were on quite a, a lot, and when you stopped suddenly like that, didn't you go through an awful detox? Uh, no, I didn't. The only thing that I would say was that I ate a lot of sugar and mango. I ate bags mm. and bags and bags of fresh mango, which was good for good good for me, obviously, but I didn't know, I didn't realise why until I, I spoke to my friend uh, and he said, oh, yeah. So he's been ahead of me. This is my best friend, by the way, that's uh, 17 years dry. And uh, oh, right. so he's okay. been there, in there and done that. And uh, so every step that I get to, uh, he he's there and goes, oh yeah, you're at that point where you get the the sugar cravings, and then the next one the was, sugar cravings, oh, yeah, yeah, and then the next one was, oh, you're in the pink cloud. Be be uh, careful. Have, have you heard of this pink cloud phenomenon? <laughs> course, course, yeah. yeah. Where, the where happy you, you, early you, days when you think yeah. I've got this, I've nailed it. <laughs> it's and, easy. And how many people do you see online who are going through that, and you keep your mouth shut because you know? <laughs> yeah. I try hard, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that mangoes thing is interesting. I'll <laughs> I'll send it to you. I've, I interviewed a nutritionist and mm-hmm. I was saying to her, you know, so many of our members turn to sugar after they stop drinking and then they put on weight and they have all the, they're eating all this chocolate. And she said, tell them to eat mangoes. And apparently, you know, that's, uh, I think it's the glucose or something, but it, it has the right nutritional effect to stop the cravings 
And also, um, obviously, it's more healthy than, than eating chocolate. And it, she said, tell them to eat, you know, great bags of mangoes to start with. <laughs> and then gradually, over a few weeks, the mangoes will taste so sweet, you know, they, they won't yeah. want to eat them in that quantity anymore. Yeah. So you that, were onto something amazing. with those mangoes. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I, it's a bit yeah. like monkeys looking for chalk to settle their stomach, isn't it? You sort of kind of innately yeah, sort yeah. of knew. But I... I yeah, that was that yeah. was quite mad. It was quite expensive, but I, I did I did absolutely love. But I, I will say that I actually lost two stone after I gave up drinking, um, and I did a wow. calculation. And I, I would suggest, just out of interest for anybody who might be listening to this, because it will tickle you pink if you if you do do it if you've given up drinking, and if you haven't given up drinking, then I would do it anyway because it might open your eyes a little bit. Go and find out how much a burger from mcdonald's or wherever how many calories are in it and then find out how many calories are in the drinks that you're drinking and add up how many burgers you're drinking every week because i was drinking 45 burgers worth of calories a week (laughs) (laughs) yes i used to think like that because i i I used to just down a a bottle of wine quite quickly when i got home but uh, and then i discovered one day that a glass of wine has got the same calories as a piece of cake so i thought wow right. you know it's like i got home and and suddenly ate six pieces of cake you know which i wouldn't dream of doing so it, it's cake. a good thing to do actually it does wake you up a whole cake you know as if because yeah. i was always slimming wasn't i and the, the wine was right. <laughs> was going to keep me nice and slim <laughs> For me, it was definitely the burger, the, the burger count. But if you want to do cake count, go do do go and do it because yeah. it will shock you, not you, the, the listener. Yeah. And what about uh, adding up the money that you used to spend on booze every week? Oh, Did you do that? Not long after I uh, gave up drinking, I bought my first item, expensive electrical item, outright for the first time in my entire life. I bought a 700-pound television, and it was the first thing I'd ever bought (laughs) that wasn't on HP or on a credit card. Uh, And I I did have a second. I I did have a second job, and that used to pay quite a lot of money. Um, And I I was a, a wedding photographer for a while, and I used to charge a lot of money for it. I drank all of that as well, So, and that was still keeping my head just below water. I've now only got one job and I've got a little bit of money. Wow. But uh, yeah, and it never occurred to me. It never occurred to me the insanity of having two jobs just to keep up drinking. And I would drink the, I would drink the the money that I was about to make on, on the job that I was about to do before I went to the job. It's yeah, because yeah. we're we're in denial, aren't we? So we just oh. we can't see it for what it no. is, even though no. some of our friends and family can. So, yeah. what about your wife, Jason? Did she used to tell you to stop drinking, to cool it a bit, no. or did you no. really hide it so much she didn't even realise you had a problem? She she had hardly and, any idea whatsoever. I was very very good at hiding it i mean i i i got i got really drunk one time and went and got a tattoo and the people you're not allowed to get tattoos in this country if you if you're drunk and i drank a lot that day enough to get <laughs> to their breath in, in, <laughs> in, enough to get enough to get a, a, a tattoo that was quite outrageous and i and <laughs> they didn't know but poor <laughs> my poor wife I, I she she as i said she is very very much 
coming to terms with this secret life. I mean, we've been together for 25 years. She she's she is actually struggling a little bit with that idea. Um, she doesn't know what to do with that thought, really, of me sit, sitting in bars all day grieving over my father and mother and uh, uh, and, and spending all that money. So talk to us about the benefits of sobriety, Jason, apart from not dropping dead in your 40s. That, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah, handy. Right, okay, what I'd, what I'd say about this is that every single little, every, every single thing in your life gets better when you, get, when you stop drinking. There's not one bit that doesn't get better, including your social life once you've got your head around how to deal with that. But when I first got onto the, the, the web, uh, the uh, Facebook site, one of the things I did was I posted my, my ever-increasing list of things that have gone right for me since I gave up drinking. And there's, there's 53 or 54 items on this list of things that have gone right since I've given up drinking now. And I, I like reading it, and I like reminding myself of all the things that have gone right. And at the top of that list is the fact that I g- stopped grieving for my father and that was something that was getting worse and worse every day rather than better with time and what happened was when i when i stopped when i stopped drinking the grief for my father just dissolved it just went away and that was one of the biggest things another thing was the fact that i don't i don't feel like i have to be drunk to be myself to be in touch with my real emotions but anything below that you know yeah. is, is is all about Everything from annoying rashes that I'd had for decades that I won't mention where they were, <laughs> through to money, through to being able to exercise. Now I did couch to five k, and I, when I when I first started trying to run, I couldn't run for more than ninety seconds, and now I can run half marathons. I lost two stone. I've got more money. I haven't got loads of money, but I've got more money now. I'm not racking up more regrettable experiences that I've got to feel guilty about. I could do an entire hour or two just telling you all, all the things that have gone right for me since that. And it's pretty much everything. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. Wow. Yeah, that's wonderful. I love what you said about getting in touch with your emotions. It's it's like we reconnect with ourselves, isn't it? And yeah. rediscover who we really are and what we really like doing. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so my top tips, I would say, is the first thing you need to do is to stop thinking that you're going to go back to drinking. You've got to admit to yourself you can't stop. You've just spent the last 10, 20, 30 years proving that you can't control it that's enough for you now you need to you need to get on with getting on with your life being sober and deal with that and and start feeling the relief i I would say that whatever frame of mind that you get into you should realize that that frame of mind will probably pass quite quickly and you'll be on the up again i would say that uh trying to exercise is a good idea even if it's just a walk I always say that if you go out for a walk, you never come back in quite the same frame of mind that you went out out in, and it's usually more positive. On exercise, I'd say to to you, don't beast yourself with it. Don't try and hit it like the alcoholic's approach of everything, where you want instant gratification, instant fitness, and and also you know you sort of 
try and beast yourself so that you you're, you're paying for it somehow. Um, yeah. Do it gradually and, and get, get and I would, uh, if you feel like you can run, then I would definitely try and do the couch to five k thing. It's there's a free app uh, and you, uh, do it properly. And it starts off with running for like forty seconds and then having having a break. And that was I would say the first thing I ever did in my adult life properly. <laughs> Um, and be be kind to yourself when you're going a little bit later and you're thinking about heading out into being socializing and things one of the best things that my friend said to me is have an escape route so know that you can leave places which might sound bizarre but it, you can leave somewhere and and also you don't have to have an excuse for you're not drinking you just don't need to have it but what I found was that people can see it in your eyes when you they know that you've given up and you say, I don't drink and that, that, that's it. It doesn't have to be a big deal. But know that you can leave places and know that you don't have to explain it to, to anybody and it, it will definitely get better for you. And try and find something that works for you. Yeah, there's some great tips there, Jason. If you tell people that you don't drink and you look happy about it and you really mean yeah. it, then it's fine, isn't it? It's just at the yeah. beginning if you say, oh, well, you know, I've got a bit of a problem trying not to drink, you know, that's hopeless. But <laughs> as time goes on, you just get more and more confident and you don't. Yeah. You, I actually enjoy telling people I don't drink I do. these days. I just like seeing their faces. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. what? And, and you will know this because I, it's so common the first thing is that they see it in your face and they they know, and I actually get a bit of a kick out of telling people I don't drink. I don't want to talk about it, but I, I don't drink. And what you will find very, very quickly is you will find people who you've known for a while asking you how you did it. Yeah, yeah. And I also like what you say about an escape route. You know, I think that's, that's important because you don't, I mean, it's pretty boring watching drunk people for hours. So uh, I tend to hang around for a couple of hours, social events. And then when it, it starts getting silly and drunken, I just go, you know, and people don't even notice that I've gone. No. So it's fine. No. <laughs> I'm very fond of thinking about the first New Year's Eve that uh, I, I had um, sober so I played a gig um, with a bunch of friends, big drinking friends, on the first New Year's Eve. I played it in a dress, <laughs> it, <laughs> okay. fancy dress. I played it sober, which was the first gig I've ever played sober in my life. I danced, and I never used to dance because I was too, too self-conscious, and I thought I had to be really drunk to, to dance, and I don't actually. Played well, had a really nice time. And then after the gig, when everybody went off and did whatever they did and drinking and what have you, I got into a very, very nice, quiet, clean car, put all my gear in it so I knew where it was, drove home and saw the new year in with my uh, sons and my wife and woke up the next day sober. And that is, oh, I can feel it. Just It just it makes oh, me feel good yeah. to stay in it. It was such a lovely time. Everybody had a good time. Yeah. Nobody had a problem with me not drinking. And I got home and it was all lovely. And I, I hold on to that because it's it was such an important experience for me. Yeah. And are you a better guitarist? <laughs> Undoubtedly. Definitely. And I don't, uh, and I don't say yeah. really annoying drunken things down the microphone anymore that I used to, that I used to um, <laughs> regret and still 
<laughs> make me wince now when I think about them. But uh, that's part of the dealing with your your past that uh, you just got to let yourself off with. You know, one of the things that happens this year, around uh, 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 about this time of year, rather, is that people who have a problem with drinking start to say that they're going to um, have a break in January or they're going to give up in January. And me and my friends, uh, certainly my my uh, best friend, used to do this on a regular basis. And we used to, it used to be our excuse to drink even more than we did before, uh, it, usually oh, in the year. Yeah. So, yeah. And I just I just want to say to to, to anybody pre Christmas is there's ne- there's never a better time to give up drinking than right now, but at this time of year, just just think about how much drink you won't drink if you stopped before Christmas and how think about waking up on Christmas yeah. morning sober and think about being there for your family or, or, or just yourself and, and waking up sober without regret. So I, I and I, I said in a post yeah. the other day, I, 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 I wanted to go into the Christmas period sober and I, it was it was not an excuse anymore because I knew what the trick it was that I was trying to play with myself over all the years and it's now uh, uh, something that I, I really love waking up on Christmas morning and New Year's Eve and New Year's Day feeling feeling good and sober and, and not regretting anything that I've done and said and not regretting all the money I've spent and uh, you know it's a, it's a good feeling and it's a good thing to give to yourself. Thanks so much, Jason. Some fantastic tips there. And I loved your answer when I asked you for the benefits of sobriety. And you said that every bit of your life has improved. And of course, I love your list of 50 things that have gone right since you stopped drinking. Please put that list back on our Facebook group. Let's pull out some key points from that conversation. Jason adored his father, who was an alcoholic. And looking back on his childhood now, he wonders if he was subconsciously picking up that alcohol is how you deal with stress, how you deal with life. He's definitely got a point there, and I think it's easy to forget how perceptive our kids are. They see us role-modelling drinking as a coping mechanism, and they'll begin to see that as normal behaviour. Jason had a difficult time as a teenager seeing his mum battling with years of ill health before she died. By then he was drinking to deal with his pain. He failed his exams at school and went to work in a clothes shop where he found it easy to indulge his all-day drinking habit. As an 18-year-old, Jason was drinking a lot and feeling quite grown up. But now that he's the father of an 18-year-old himself, he realises that he was not grown up at all and he'd hate to see his son in the same situation. Throughout his 20s and 30s, Jason drank consistently, keeping himself topped up, as he put it. Now, Jason's dad was what he calls a proper alcoholic, who even resorted to drinking aftershave when there was no booze available once. And as Jason says, this is a dangerous benchmark to have. And we agree that comparing ourselves to severe alcoholics is counterproductive and that we should be comparing ourselves with the best version of ourselves that we could be. So if you've had the massive amounts of booze that Jason was getting through, please don't think that you're fine because you don't drink like that. 
The fact that you're listening to this podcast implies that you are sober curious. So maybe you should explore that offer for a sober year. Just use the coupon CHRISTMAS2022 to get a 20% discount on Tribe Sober annual membership. After all, if you don't like the alcohol-free lifestyle, you can always go back to drinking. I've still never met anyone who said, oh, I wish I'd never stopped drinking. Now, Jason was often at the doctor's. One of his ailments was gout, which used to put him in bed for a couple of days a month. He used to blame these gout attacks on eating cakes. In his denial, he wasn't going to link it to alcohol, even though there's a definite link between beer drinking and gout. Of course, he lied about the amount he was drinking to the doc, but even so, he was told that he was damaging his health. And I think as drinkers, we get used to feeling under par. As I got older, I felt more tired, more anxious and generally uninspired. But I put that down to ageing. And now that I'm seven years sober and seven years older, I feel amazing. Just because I stopped poisoning myself on a daily basis. Funny that. Jason would complain to his friends that he was drinking too much, but they told him he was fine. Of course, they had no idea about how much he was drinking because he did most of his drinking alone. Never rely on your friends or family to advise you about your drinking. They'll either be normal drinkers, in which case they'll just tell you to cut down and not understand why this may be impossible for you, or they'll tell you that you are fine because they either don't realise how much you are drinking or they drink too much as well. Far better to listen to your heart. You'll know in your heart that you need to change your relationship with alcohol. Or if you want to rely on your head, then keep a drinking diary. Log your drinks every day. And if you're drinking more than a bottle and a half of wine or six beers a week, be aware that you could be harming your mental and physical health. And if you cannot keep your drinking within these limits, then you need to quit. Just like me, Jason spent a decade trying and failing to moderate. Failing to such an extent that his drinking just got worse and worse. We talked about the Groundhog Day of daily drinking, waking up feeling terrible, vowing not to drink that day, and then finding himself outside the pub by lunchtime. Following his doctor's advice, he took an extended break for nine months, but always knowing that he would start drinking again after his break. Basically, he was white-knuckling it, and he likens it to swimming a length underwater, holding your breath, but knowing that you'll come up for air at the end. This experience was so different to how he felt when he made the decision to stop for good. So after a final night of hectic drinking, Jason finally decided to stop. He knew he had to make that decision within himself before he got any help. He went to a few AA meetings, he got some therapy, but he more or less managed the transition alone. He watched a lot of videos, he found a guy he could relate to who was talking about habit change. He also loved one of our favourite books, which is Catherine Gray's The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober. Once again, he could relate well to the author and her journey. In fact, he recently read that book again four years into his sobriety, and he still got a lot out of it. 
Jason also relied on a friend of his who had 17 years of sobriety. A friend who could say, when I was at that stage, this is what helped me. That's what you get when you join a community like Tribe Sober. You connect with people who are at all different stages of the journey and they're all keen to share their experiences and support you. When he did quit, Jason imagined it was going to be like moderating an ongoing daily struggle which would last for the rest of his life. What a wonderful surprise he got when he discovered it was not like that at all. He did the work for a few months and then he was free, feeling a massive sense of relief and gratitude. And we both agreed that it's so much easier to quit completely than to moderate, which came as a surprise to both of us. As Jason says, moderation is an ongoing daily battle, whereas stopping is hard work for a few months and then it's done. And then you are free and you can enjoy the many benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Jason ended with his view about why December is a great time to stop drinking so that we can actually be present for the festive season and enjoy our friends and family rather than drinking more in preparation for a punishing dry January. Sign up for our annual fundraiser today and get online and community support for 30 days so we can guide you through a sober Christmas and enable you to move into early 2023 feeling great. Just go to tribesober.com and you'll see the fundraiser pick on the homepage. Click on the pick and get all the info. So let me end with a lovely message from our six months plus chat room. This one is from tribe member Jax, who's just hit her first soberversary. Tribe Sober is set up for camaraderie and success, but you've got to put in the work. And I did. I read the Quitlet, I listened to the podcast, I did the workshop, I did the kickstart course, I attended the Zoom cafes and I've been to all the meetups. I read the messages, I journal information and feelings, and I've literally followed every single piece of advice Tribe Sober has provided. There isn't a day that I've neglected or ignored my sobriety. I decided on day one last year that I would do anything, and I mean anything, to get sober. So now I'm one year alcohol-free, I'm fit, I'm healthy, and I'm happy. Whereas this time last year, I was writing my suicide letter. I was resigned to addiction, loneliness and fear. Alcohol and burnout nearly killed me. But I quit my job, I quit alcohol and I saved my own life. If I can do it, then you can. But I did it because I embraced the work and listened to people who know better. Well done, Jax. You did the work and now you're free. Your tribe is so proud of you. If you're ready to do the work and be in a completely different place this time next year, then gift yourself an annual membership to Tribe Sober. Go to tribesober.com, hit join our tribe and use the Christmas 2022 coupon to claim a 20% discount on annual membership. So that's it from me. Thanks so much for listening and I'll be back next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. 
Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.